Welcome to The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. It is Thursday, March the 25th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat... Historically black colleges and universities at historically high levels, providing more than $2.2 billion in state support. Uh, no administration in the history of the state has ever invested more in our HBCUs. And uh, our administration has, has advanced more than a billion dollars in major projects at all four HBCUs, including the new communication arts and humanities building right here at Bowie State. Uh, this legislation that we're signing into law here today will provide even more critical investments for all of these institutions. And it brings to an end a more than 15 year long uh, legal battle uh, that uh, we inherited and that we've spent years working hard uh, to try to resolve in a fair and equitable manner. That was Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, the Republican governor yesterday announcing the signing of a bill that would give and will give Maryland's historic black colleges and universities $577 million. This is good news. And there'll be more of it in this episode. Welcome back. I am going to get into the good news because there is some good news and there's always good news around. Come on. I mean, there's good news every day of the week. It just doesn't get covered. And I don't do enough of the coverage of it on this podcast. I mean, let's be really honest. Um, There's lots of good news in the world every day. And that's just the truth. The issue is that there is so much horrific news and news that is important that may not be so sanguine or so positive that you need to be aware of that must be covered. Hence, a lot of the issues and conversations that you hear on this podcast and what you may hear on some of the news media that you watch will skew in ways that aren't necessarily positive or uplifting because this world is a very ugly place. It's a very beautiful place too. And it's got a lot of really decent, good people in it, but it's also got a lot of dirtbags in it. A lot of people who are ugly inside. I'm not talking about what they look like. I'm talking about ugly hearts, people who aren't good, people who don't have goodness as the first priority. Let me put it that way. I think it is sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, um, overly simplistic to talk about good people versus bad people. But I plead guilty because I have said that on episodes of this podcast, good people and bad people. Um, I think that there are people who have um, goodness in their hearts, but I think there's also lots of people who don't. (laughs) Put it that way. Um, 
But I do want to talk about good news, and I will in a moment, I promise, because there's, I think, some good news that you need to be aware of. I think that's the difference. The, one of the things is, is that there's good news that's kind of fluff, that's somewhat very trivial, that really is like, ah, okay, that's nice, good news, great, happy days, and you move on. But this kind of good news is the good news that I will always cover, Whenever I get wind of it and uh, I'm aware of it, I will cover it. And I want you to stay tuned for that in a few moments because that is really, I I thought a lot of these things, and this week, and there have been a lot of exceptions to this, but this week I think has been a relatively, and I dare jinx myself here, knocking on wood, has been a relatively decent news week. I'll keep it that way. A decent week of news, relatively speaking. Of course, there are some things that aren't. Of course, we had the um, terrorist attack here in the United States on Monday in Boulder, Colorado. So that's certainly not something that makes up a decent news week, uh, a week of news. But I can say that there have been some good, positive things that have happened, certainly here in the United States uh, and one or so abroad that I can think of as well. Uh, uh, and I will get to all of it in a few minutes. But here's the thing I want to start with, dear listener. I want you to take stock of your life right now. I want you to think about the fact that you are here. You are still here. With all the adversity that you've been through, with all the challenges that you've gone through, with all the heartache you have experienced, with all the pieces of bad news that you have had in your life or just perhaps lately, You're still here. You haven't given up. You haven't given in. You're still here. And you know what I want you to do? Whether you do it today, on this Thursday, whether you do it tomorrow, Friday, or whether you do it sometime this weekend, I want you to do this for me, please. I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to tell yourself, I am here. I want you to tell that to yourself. And after you've said that to yourself, I want you to just look at yourself, at your face in the mirror after you've said that. And then I want you to repeat it. I am here. Make sure that you are looking straight into the mirror at yourself. Right into your own eyes, into your own reflection. I am here. I want you to say that twice. And after both times that you say it, I want you to take a few seconds to just look at your reflection, your face in the mirror. For a few seconds. 
I say this to you because I want you to literally reflect because you're reflected in a mirror. But I mean reflect for a few moments that despite the tough times, you exist, you are here, and you're not going to let anybody break your spirit. You're not going to let anybody break you down. I know that's easier said than done. And I know that's perhaps easy for yours truly to say from the sunny confines of San Francisco, California. But what I am saying, wherever you are on this planet, whatever difficulty that you have gone through, adversity that you are going through, existence that you are going through, I want you to understand that you must take a moment to look in the mirror at yourself and say, I'm here. I'm here. I am here. Take stock that you do have this time that you have, that this moment is yours. It's yours. You get to author it. And that's power. That is power. And it's power that belongs to you, to you. You have that moment. You are here. You give yourself power when you say that to yourself. And you say it before a mirror. The mirror is your witness. Tell the mirror. Tell yourself, you are here. And that's a victory in and of itself. Don't let anybody turn you around. And by the way, look at the mirror and look at yourself in it and take stock of you, of who you are. Don't waste your time on petty jealousies. Don't waste your time on being envious of others. I know those are human emotions and they're natural. I get it, but they're very destructive and all of this talk that you may have heard in the world in your life that says, oh, well, jealousy is a healthy thing. And yeah, and it might fuel you to do better. Bullcrap. I'd never believe that nonsense. It's a destructive emotion. And what you need to do, instead of uh, listening to those so-called experts, and I'm not an expert, I'm not a professional psychologist or anything like that. But what I suggest is sometimes these so-called professionals are giving you advice that isn't necessarily very beneficial or helpful. <laughs> That's what I'm suggesting to you. And I would say, invest in you. Don't worry about someone else, what someone else has. You don't know what kind of struggle they're going through. You don't know what kind of adversity they've been through. You don't know how they got this thing that you don't have, right? How they got this money, how they got this whatever. You don't know how they got it. You don't know what they did or what they had to do to get it. And they appear to be so successful and, oh, the world is right. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, dear listener. 
So to those of you, this applies. To those of you whom this applies. There's no need to be jealous of people. Be high on yourself. Be positive about who you are in this world. You are here. And you are you. And no one can take that from you. No one. As I say, and as I echo the Ten Commandments of Success, one of them, as enumerated by the one, the only Dr. Benjamin Mays, who mentored Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Envy no man his grand possessions. His burden would be too heavy to carry for you as it is for him. I believe that we're sending a very clear message that we can work together in a bipartisan way and deliver real results. And uh, together, uh, we are all ensuring uh, that uh, any student in Maryland who wishes to pursue a degree will have access to world-class programs and the highest quality institutions for many years to come. That was Larry Hogan, the Republican governor of Maryland, yesterday. He signed legislation, um, signed a bill into law that really is significant, that means a lot for historically black colleges and universities in Maryland. $577 million will go towards HB. CUs, historically black colleges and universities. This is um, something that was something that ended, as you may have heard in the earlier comments that I played from the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, a 15 year old federal lawsuit, 15 years. Because there had been underfunding of the for historically black colleges and universities in Maryland. And this un, this funding had been, this underfunding had been going on for more than 10 years. Or over a 10 year period, certainly. And I, I think this is really uh, uh, something that you need to be aware of. That historically black colleges and universities in Maryland after a 15-year federal lawsuit. This was such important legislation that he signed there, Governor Hogan, that will now allow for all of this money to be put back, uh, or I should say, to be given this money that was underfunded in the first place from these schools, should never have been. But this money is now going to go to four historically black colleges and universities in the state of Maryland. Morgan State University will receive $24 million in year, year number one. And these payments, by the way, though, would not begin until fiscal year 2023. 
which is in, what, a couple of years' time. But the point uh, uh, is fiscal year begins the calendar year before the actual year. So fiscal year 2023 begins in September of 2022. So that's during an election year, (laughs) during a uh, midterm election year, which would be next year. Um, If I I think, yeah, did I say that before? I don't know if I did, but uh, it wouldn't be until 2022, which is next year. My goodness gracious me, we're almost at the end of March. We're almost at the end of the first quarter of 2021. And what have you done? Another quarter over. (laughs) A new one. Not begun. (laughs) It's not Christmas time yet. uh, This this John Lennon song. Um, (laughs) And and Yoko Ono too. uh, Is it the Plastic Ono Band? Merry Christmas uh, and a Happy New Year. Well, we, we've just got into this new year, but we are almost through the first quarter of it. Isn't that frightening? But Morgan State University, under this $577 million settlement bill that was signed by Governor Hogan yesterday in Maryland, Mer- Morgan State University is a lovely st- university, by the way. I remember that university very well um, many years ago. I've been on their campus. It's a beautiful place. It's a lovely university, Morgan State University, and has a lot of rich history to it too, by the way. A lot of history, Morgan State University. will receive $24 million in the first year of the payments. Bowie State, B-O-W-I-E, pronounced Bowie. Bowie State will get $16.8 million. The University of Maryland Eastern Shore will get $9.7 million. And Coppin State University will get $9 million. Now, these provisions in this bill are contingent upon a final settlement agreement um, from June, for June 1st of uh, this year. And so that is something that you've got to be aware of. All of this hinges on a final settlement agreement. So the actual bill does not represent the final settlement. Actually, so technically speaking, this bill is somewhat provisional in the sense that it is contingent upon, it's provided, it's a proviso, it's provided that there's a final settlement agreement reached on June 1st of 2021. So I give the governor credit and all of those who work to get this to happen. But it's not quite over yet. We've got to get to June 1st, which is still, what, three months away? Just over, well, just under three months, just over two months away before we can finally say on June 1st that there has been an agreement and that bill is officially law. So that's the thing. It's officially rather going to be put in implemented. So let's hope that that happens. Um, One of the attorneys... um, uh, for the HBCUs, Michael Jones had apparently told the Associated Press um, last week he didn't anticipate any problems reaching the settlement. So once the settlement let measure becomes law. So actually, I should say that what the governor signed is now signed into law. So it's still contingent upon the agreement that comes in June. And once that settlement agreement is reached in June, Boom. It's it's this the this money is gonna soon after that over the next year or so 
become disbursed to these universities. This is really big. This is good news. You're seeing education actually being talked about in a good way. And Lord knows we have in this country since after the 1950s, when it was 19, the 1950s in the United States was the zenith of great education. You really were talking about the best educated nation on the planet, basically, in the 1950s, because Germany in its system had been decimated, of course, after World War II. And so they were still picking up the pieces. He had the Marshall Plan that helped rebuild a lot of these places, including Germany and and others, These some of these countries and some of the uh, Axis powers too in um, in in the with the Marshall Plan, it, it it helped Europe tremendously. That Marshall Plan, and Germany was in tatters. The education system in the U- U.S. couldn't have been better in the nineteen fifties, at least for those, of course, who had access to it. Because black folk, we didn't have access to it at all. And we had Brown versus Board of Education to get to, thank you very much, in 1954. The Brown versus Board of Education decision versus the, uh, you know, Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. And that Supreme Court decision came down in 1954 after decades of struggle and fight. And you saw what happened in 1957 if you were Dorothy Counts, the 15-year-old black girl who was going to school in Charlotte, North Carolina, on her first day of school in 1957, you saw what happened to her. You can go look it up on YouTube if you're not familiar. You can go and watch the documentary I Am Not Your Negro if you are not familiar. The kind of harassment and bullying and racism, racist behavior and threats and jeering she got from these white teenagers who were in school with her, fellow students. And that's how they reacted to her. White boys and girls jeering her, spitting it at her in her face and all of this vicious hatred and evil and racism, racist people. And that's Dorothy Count's first day of school. And we've underfunded education for years in this country, for years Reagan gutted it in the state of California when he was governor of this state in the 1960s. He absolutely stripped it. And then he did the same when he got to the White House in 1981. Gutted it like a fish. Took the, took the, the knife, the scalpel, the knife, and whoosh, got just absolutely eviscerated it. And then you had Betsy DeVos, the, the billionaire's uh, billionaire. Oh, I'm the Secretary of Education. And I've never been inside uh, a public school in my life. I mean, I'm not kidding. That's exactly, that was the case until she finally went into one and gutted it too. So education has, I say all of this as a preamble, to say to you, dear listener, that education has never, at least for the last number of decades in the United States, has not been at the top of the tree. San Francisco education sucks, by the way. For those of you who may be wondering about, ooh, California, oh, it's the fifth or sixth largest economy, richest economy in the world, if it were a country. 
but it's education is a blooming shambles here. If you look at, go look it up. Don't, you don't have to believe me. Anything I say can be readily verified and um, factually uh, backed up. I mean, it's backed up in fact because it's true. <laughs> it's a fact. San Francisco's education system stinks. You can look it up. There's enough studies and enough reporting on it. San Francisco's education has sucked for years. It's horrible. Horrible. It's one of the worst in California and not one, not far from being one of the worst in the country, if we can really be honest here. So the reason I start with this story, because A, it's good news, and B, whenever I've talked about education in, in this on this podcast, not always, because the need for education is important. But the other time they talk about education, I've talked about how we have defunded education to record and severe levels in this country. And no one seems to care about that. Well, I mean, people do, but you don't hear them talking about it often enough, I think, in the public eye. But this is big. Morgan State University, $24 million in the first year of this settlement. Bowie State, $16.8 million. University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, $9.7 million. And Coppin State University, $9 million. It's really good. It's really good. And this is after this particular lawsuit, which dated back to 2006, alleged that the state had underfunded the institutions while developing programs at traditionally white schools that directly compete with and drain prospective students away from HBCUs. You know, this is, I liken that, and I'm reading from a story which I will link to called Maryland Governor Signs $577 Million HBCU Settlement Bill. I will link to that story. I will also link to the uh, reparation story as well, which I didn't link to this week in Evanston, Illinois. And that's why I think it's been part of this has been a very uh, better week in news in the United States. Never mind, the, of course, this horrible shooting, of course, is and notwithstanding. But I, I mean, and of course, these attacks on Asians that continue here in San Francisco on a daily basis. I mean, and, and around the country. This this is uh, this news on education, this HBCU news, and this you know traditionally white schools directly competing, and I liken this to the Negro leagues. When the when the major league baseball operations of teams, well, the Los Angeles Dodgers, then known as the Brooklyn Dodgers. Hired away in 1947, Jackie Robinson from the Negro Leagues. Jackie Robinson wasn't even the best player in the Negro Leagues. Jackie Robinson was looked at as the player who was probably best suited to taking the racist garbage from the white players that he would be playing with and against in the Negro, in the Major Leagues. And so, therefore, he was selected selected, essentially. Branch Rickey, the white owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, again, they were the Brooklyn Dodgers then, so let me stay on that because they did not move to Los Angeles until after the 1957 baseball season. So, in Brooklyn, New York, Branch Rickey, the owner of the Los... Of, I keep saying it, of the Brooklyn Dodgers... In 1947, he said, yep, this is, the, this is our man, our man Jackie. 
And Jackie was first to go. Then Larry Doby went to Cleveland. And then all these other players from the Negro Leagues followed both Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby from the Negro Leagues. And you know what happened to the Negro Leagues, don't you? A thriving economic enterprise like the Negro Leagues. Rube Foster, Babe Rube Foster, the owner of the Chicago American Giants, as I remember it. Black man owned that great Negro League team of the era. One of the best teams of the era. You had the also uh, the Chicago, not only the Chicago American Giants, you had the uh, Kansas City Monarchs. You had the Birmingham Bar- Brown Barons, uh, the Birmingham Brown Barons, I think. Um, or the Birmingham Black Clowns, I think it was called. Or whichever. But there were so many good teams. Satchel Page. For the Kansas City Monarchs. Incredible pitch. So you had all this talent. And what happened to it? It ended up being taken. By the Negro. By the Major League. Baseball team owners. And it depleted the Negro Leagues. So these Major League owners. These white owners. Ended up depleting the Negro Leagues. And of course. Augmented the, the Major Leagues of Baseball. But the Negro Leagues, all of their great talent was being taken. Willie Mays. Willie Mays was one of the greatest players in the Negro Leagues. People forget he started out his career in the Negro Leagues. And thank goodness he's still with us to this very day. Mr. San Francisco Giant. He played with the New York Giants. He played with the San Francisco Giants. When the Giants franchise moved along with the Dodgers franchise after the 1957 season. He moved to San Francisco with the Giants. Willie May is the all-time, in my view, the all-time greatest baseball player who ever played the game in the major leagues. And he may not have been the very best Negro Leagues player, but he was damn good. There were people like Cool Papa Bell... People that you will never, ever, probably you never knew of. Anyway, I go off in this on that tangent because this settlement, or I should say this lawsuit dating back 15 years, gutted these historically black colleges and universities. And so as a result of that, you had people going, black students going to these white schools. And then the HBCUs were underfunded, gutted, and didn't have much of a foundation at all. In 2013, a federal judge found that the state, Maryland, had maintained, quote, a dual and segregated education system, end quote, that violated the Constitution. There you go. There you go. And that's what this bill means. This settlement bill, this 577 million, that's half, over half a billion dollars coming back to HBCUs, that is immense. It's a mass, that's the biggest settlement, I think, one of the biggest civil settlements in history. It's a massive settlement. It means a lot. You've got to celebrate that. And of course, June 1st, that's when we can all, I guess, officially exhale. But these historically black colleges and universities will get the money 
that they got robbed of, that they got underfunded, that didn't come to them over these 15 years, that sapped their strength. And this is something that's good. And yeah, it's a Republican governor that signed it. He didn't do it all by himself. There were black activists and groups of people, black people everywhere in the state of Maryland who had a real commitment to seeing this got done. Other political figures and leaders who absolutely were on this. You had the people working through the settlement and trying to get this done. A 15-year fight to get to this day. So, yes, Governor Hogan's going to get the credit, and I think he should get some credit. But I want to credit all those people behind the scenes that you don't necessarily get to see or you may not be aware of. And I'm not even aware of all their names. All of their names. But I want to thank all of them for their hard work. 15 years. And look what happens. When you stick at a task. When you fight. And now look what you've got. That's good news. Ferry, don't stop the dance. And I'm not going to stop dancing on good news. <laughs> there is no way, dear listener, that I would ever, ever <laughs> stop it. I wouldn't stop. Why would you stop dancing um, on good news? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, personally, maybe... Um, there isn't any good news that you can dance to in your life at the moment. And I hope that I'm wrong. Um, but we have to celebrate those little things, the smaller things, which goes back to what I started with, which was looking in that mirror and telling yourself that you're here. That's good news. I hope you think that that would be good news, that you are still here, even though things might be very difficult and adverse. We've got to take in life these things, no matter how small they are, amidst some of the most painful things. That will to continue on to do the things you do. There are people who care about you and you really should give yourself a pat on the back for being here and take stock in your life. Take stock at the good things in your life and also look at some of the things that may not be so good and really say, look, I'm here. I'm still here and I'm going to stay here as long as possible, as long as I am allowed, you know? It's like the song that Elton John did years ago called All That I'm Allowed. It, it's Elton John who's been through so much and yeah, he's at, at achieved a level of fame, but... As you know, lots of people who are famous are not very happy people and have gone through hell. So that's why I keep saying, envy no man his grand possessions. I keep repeating this from Benjamin Mays' Ten Commandments of Success. As I said earlier, Benjamin Mays was uh, the mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Envy no man his grand possessions. His burdens would be too 
are too would be too heavy for you as they are for him. And an example of that, Elton John. Look at the kinds of things Elton John's gone through. By the way, happy birthday, Elton John. Happy birthday to you. He's gone through a lot. By the way, happy birthday, Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul. Happy birthday to you. May you rest in power as we celebrate your day of coming into this world. Even though you are no longer with us on the earth, you are always in our hearts, dear Queen of Soul. Queen Aretha, you are the very best. You were the very best. Envy no man or woman their grand possessions. Their burdens would be too heavy for you as they are for them. So take stock. I want to repeat that. Take stock of your life. There's always things about our lives that can be better. There's always things about our our circumstances that can be better, of course. And just think, there's always things that could actually be worse. Maybe there are people listening who would take stern issue with that. But there are always things that can be worse. And I'm not so sure if it is comforting to say, well, there's always someone worse off than you. I mean, that's a truism. That is true. But I'm not so sure if that provides comfort for you. I think what would provide comfort, I hope what would provide comfort, is the knowledge that you are here and that you are still alive and that there are good things in your life that you can point to. You just have to think about what those are. I sure, I'm sure that you have a lot of them. No time to be envious or jealous of people. Thrive on the goodness of your heart and of the people who you trust, who love you and who are around you. Your loved ones. Thrive on that, on your partner, on your spouse who, who's there for you. Huh? Thrive on that. You're here. And don't let yourself ever forget that. Don't stop the dance. Do not stop the dance on this good news. I will not, dear listener. I will not. Because I'm going to continue with it. One of the good pieces of news that came across yesterday was knowing that, and I've talked about individualism versus uh, group, and also I've talked about in the past on this podcast, um, changing societies. Is there a changing society that we're experiencing, or is it more of a change of faces in the status quo? And I guess it's more of the latter, but still, it doesn't mean that I cannot tell you that yesterday, in case you were not aware. History was made in an administration yet again. Last week, it was Deb Haaland becoming the first Native American in a U.S. government cabinet. I thought that that was significant. She is the interior secretary this year, or I should say this week. Oh, my God. Yeah, a year went by since last week. For some people, it, it probably feels that way. <laughs> maybe, maybe a year did go by in one week. But this particular week, 
this great news I have for you is that Dr. Rachel Levine, or Levine, I think it's Levine. Oh gosh, I should have got the pronunciation right. Dr. Rachel Levine became the first transgender person to be part of a United States government cabinet. She um, was voted in yesterday in the Senate, confirmed by the Senate in a very close vote nonetheless, but still she was confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. I thought that was really a good thing. I think that's really a great thing. Rachel Levine. And the vote was 52 to 48. Real close. Now, she was the, uh, I believe she was the health commissioner in Pennsylvania. And had been health commissioner there for around four years or so. And did an excellent job there. Joe Biden tapped her. And his team tapped her to become the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. Of course, the uh, Chief of Health and Human Services, of course, is Javier Becerra. He was confirmed, I think, a few short weeks ago now, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's confirmed already. I think. Yes, he is. Um, I know Javier Becerra from being, of course, he's the Attorney General. He was the Attorney General here in California. Um, And so he's now gone on to, he's now the Health and Human Services Secretary. And now yesterday, Rachel Levine becomes the first transgender person to be a part of the cabinet in the United States government. I think that's excellent. I think that's great news. Delighted with that news. That is progress. And yes, I get it. It's progress for one person in that position. But in a very real sense, That is a very good thing for everybody. Transgender people, clearly that's a a positive thing. I think it's good for all of us. Seriously. Because it, it says to you, even as I sit here and go, well, the society's not really changing as much as it really could or should and not fast enough, of course. We always love it to be faster, you and I in terms of the changes in the society for the better. And yes, it is true that the status quo changes are are, are quicker and faster. The face of the status quo in government and in power may be faster than the whole society's changes. But still, 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 dear listener, with that, this is a really good thing. Just like last week was a really good thing that Deb Haaland... Um, became Interior Secretary, the first Native American in a cabinet, in the United States cabinet, a a government cabinet. I think that's really important. And I don't think I really emphasized that enough last week. But I should have, and I'm doing it now. But also, Rachel Levine becoming the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, the first transgender person to become... um, a cabinet member in the United States government, I think is also tremendous. Tremendous. So congratulations, Dr. Levine. I'm very happy for you and to the transgender community. This is people who are transgender in the various communities that you have. It's not just one community. It's different communities in the transgender community. And I think this is a great day. But it's a great day for the country. Because of the progress. 
You know, I mean, there may be some transgender individuals in other countries' governments. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I can't think of them. There probably are. I'd have to really think about it long and hard. Maybe in a Scandinavian country that's possible that's happening. I don't know. In Denmark, perhaps, that might be happening. I don't know. But here we are again, the United States, um, doing some very important things here that do make you proud. And as much as I criticize this country, because I care about the country and love the country and love what it could be, it could be, and what has it shown flashes of, this is a day that I do celebrate the country for this kind of thing and this kind of achievement and Deb Haaland getting in last week. And also celebrate yourself because you're the ones who voted these senators in. And in Georgia particularly, of all that we've seen and experienced in Georgia over the last week or so, look at Georgia voters because Georgia voters made such important inroads over the last few months. November and before then, of course, and also in January of this year. And without Georgia voters and without black women organizing and without other organizers, this wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have had Dr. Levine in as the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. The Republicans would have never allowed this. And I tell you why. 48 of the 50 Republicans voted no. No. Every Democrat voted yes and two Republicans joined them. Those Republicans are Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Mikowski of Alaska. Both of those senators, the only two Republican senators who voted for Dr. Rachel Levine or Levine to become the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. Can you imagine? Only two Republicans. And well done, both of you. Senator Mikowski, Senator Collins, thank you for doing that. I'm grateful that you did it. I'm a straight man, grateful that you did this because this is about how a country tries to become what it says it wants to become. And not only for Dr. Levine, but for a larger group of people in different communities, the transgender communities and the rest of us, all of us, straight, gay, trans, able-bodied, non-able-bodied, however, whichever, this has got to be a good day for all of us. It's progress. But we've now got to transfer all of that to the whole groups of people, all of us who are not powerful, not on Capitol Hill, not in Joe Biden's cabinet. That's the challenge that remains. And I am happy for Dr. Rachel Levine. Congratulations. And also last week, congratulations to you, Deb Holland. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you, Deb Holland, former Congresswoman and now Interior Secretary. So congratulations to you and the pride is there for Dr. Rachel Levine. Congratulations to you too. What a great day it was for you yesterday.
I promise there's even more good news coming up right after this. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you very much for listening to this episode. Thank you. Your support is greatly appreciated, and thank you, really, um, for purchasing items at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. It's so welcomed, and uh, thank you. It's also, I'm grateful to you. Please continue to buy, continue to spread the word. I really would like to have you all buying these products because there's just new ones all the time coming in um ready to go and there's some more items coming up on friday that will be coming in that i am so proud of i i I tell you i am proud of all of these things that i these merchandises the merchandise (laughs) merchandises that i have these merchandises that I have designed. I, honestly, this is this is really good. So more to come. More to come. And again, as we get warmer, as the planet continues to burn up. Oh boy. As it does get warmer and as the planet continues to burn up here, um, as we get into spring, as we start to really get into spring and spring is here and, and the weather's getting warmer, at least in various parts of this state of California. I don't know where you are in the world, but wherever you are in the world, I hope that the weather is at least tolerable because not everybody likes warm weather. Not everybody likes hot weather and not everybody likes cold weather either for that matter. Um, But because the climate, oh my gosh, the climate and we've got to have, and I will have at some point people in the environmental world coming on to talk about the challenges because there's so many of them. I've actually tried to get someone, but they're very busy um, to talk about climate and talk about global warming, which is happening at a record pace that it cannot be stopped, sadly. Uh, It can only be slowed to a degree. And even then, that's an ambitious thing. But that doesn't mean we check out and stop recycling and stop doing the things every day that we can to reduce our carbon footprint, our, our footprint in the environment. Um, I, I have to say that. I, I just have to say that. Um, so all of that is to say, please patronize the uh, Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. Uh, more new items coming in on almost a daily basis. Some new ones for Friday um, that are coming in um, that will be released on Friday and you can buy them. But go now to the dash politocrat dot myshopify.com please go take a look there's so much good stuff it's not just t-shirts it's mugs and tote bags and pens and calendars and hats and sweatshirts and hoodies and jackets it's all available now 
So there's some more good news. I told you I wasn't going to stop with this good news. The good news train has arrived at the station. And it's not leaving yet, dear listener. It is not leaving yet. Yesterday in the United States, the state of Virginia. The first state from the South to do what I'm about to tell you it did yesterday. Virginia became the 23rd state in the United States to abolish the death penalty. The once embattled blackface governor, Ralph Northam, who I've talked about on this podcast. And of course, he's still firmly planted in office. The Democratic governor signed a bill into law yesterday that abolishes the death penalty. That is good news. That is good news. Virginia became the first southern state in the United States of America to abolish the death penalty. That happened yesterday. Let history record the date of Wednesday, March the 24th, 2021. as the date that Virginia became the first southern state to abolish the death penalty. That is major news. Major news. Do you know how many executions Virginia has done? Do you know that Virginia actually, in terms of Lifetime executions in the history of that state has executed more people than anywhere else in the United States as a state. Do you know that? Even more than Texas. I found that out yesterday. I was stunned. Stunned. By that revelation, by that piece of news. More executions in Virginia than any other state in the history of the United States. That includes Texas. Oh my God, I, that really has surprised me. But I guess I shouldn't be too surprised when you consider Jamestown, Virginia, 1619. How many executions were done then? And you know the significance of 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia. I do not need to say anything more. Those of you who know history know very well what August 1619 was and what it meant and its impact of those of us who were brought there. So Democratic Governor Ralph Northam signed this bill yesterday and it became law, signed it into law. What a, what a major moment that is. It's a really good piece of news. You know how many people were being, were, all, were being executed in Virginia as in other states and they were innocent? 
and the majority of them were black. The vast majority. Almost all of them. I mean, there were black people on death row, black men on death row, who were literally minutes away from being sent to the electric chair. And then a sudden, a, a S-U-D-D-E-N, a sudden stay of execution saved them. And then now with the stroke of a pen, that horrible, odious practice of the state as killing machine in Virginia comes to an end. It is no more. It is gone. No more. No more. But we need to replicate this in the other 27 states in the country, including here in California, I might add. Because California has suspended the death penalty. Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom, I didn't say governor. Oh, I just did. But Governor Newsom, who is now the subject of a recall effort, which is just garbage. It's a complete Republican power grab. The man's been in office just over two full years. He was elected in November of 2018. I voted for him. I've criticized Governor Newsom many times. He's also done, he's also done some good things. One of them was suspending the death penalty. He needs to get rid of it. We need to get people in the California. By the way, those of you listening to me here in California, please get familiar with the California Assembly. The state assembly here in California. And you need to start speaking to your legislators in your district and put pressure on them to abolish this death penalty. And put pressure on Governor Newsom as well. He suspended it, but it's not been abolished officially. So Virginia abolished the death penalty before California. This is kind of funny, but not funny because I'm re- I was really thankful when Governor Newsom did this in 2019 when he did suspend it. So the death penalty is not operating in California, but it could if a governor comes along and says, oh, I'm overturning this executive order. I'm overturning this man, da, 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 boom, it's back. We can't have that here in this state or in any of the other 26 states. We need to get rid of this death penalty across the board. It is state as killing machine. It does not reduce crime. It kills innocent people. Black people disproportionately are murdered. The poor have no chance. The death penalty costs too much. It costs more to be on death row than it does if you convict somebody. And put them behind bars. Because you've got this appeals process that goes on for years. That's money. That's lawyers. That's attorney's fees. That's administrative costs. It costs more for a state to be a killing machine. Than it does if it just incarcerates somebody. And the incarceration is a whole nother story. 
We've got to end this death penalty. One of the things, if you value, if you're this person who values life and you're a pro-life person, and I like to expand that definition, not just to the kinds of things that people typically think about when they're talking about pro-life, when they're talking about a woman making choices that she has to make. Because I am pro-choice first. You've got to have those choices to be an autonomous human being. And one of those things is to make a choice about your birth control, about your uh, reproductive rights, about your ability to plan a family. And your ability to say, I'm sorry, I, I can't go through with this pregnancy. That is a woman's province only. And she may consult with her partner or she may not. But that is her province. It's her determination. Not mine, not yours, not the government's, not these white men in power, not these black men in power who are Republicans. Who are saying, oh no, you know, we can't have that. You've got to carry it to term. Except, of course, when some Republican male, white usually, is caught up in an affair he's having. When he's cheating on his wife and he's got his mistress, mistress, oh God, that's an old term, dates me got the woman he's cheating with pregnant and now he's saying, oh no, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of it. Oh, you've got to get rid of it. Got to get rid of it. That's how they, they I mean, I'm not, I'm not speaking from any experience. I'm just, this is, this is how these so-called pro-lifers behave. But my whole thing is they're pro-life until they get a woman, not their wife pregnant. And then it's, oh no, you've got to, not that you've got to put on a condom. It's that, no, you woman, you've got to get rid of what I put inside you. I mean, come on, come on now, people. Come on now. Talk about male responsibility not being met. Again, I talked about this yesterday and I don't wish to go back over yesterday's episode. If you'd like to listen to that, it's available for you to listen to. But again, it's this ab- absolution of a man's responsibility, right? He's completely not only abdicating his responsibility, he's not even looking in its face. He's not even looking in the face of responsibility. I don't have to put on a condom. I'm just going to let my seed fly and yeah, you get rid of it. You be the janitor. I didn't put I didn't put plastic around the trash can. So you be the janitor, you clean up the mess that I put in the receptacle. I mean that's how some of these men think. If you're pro life, that definition must be expanded greatly to getting rid of guns that kill deer that don't belong on the streets, AR-15s. That's something you need to be pro-life about. People can carry guns if they're responsible, have permits for them, have the background checks. I'm all in favor of those things, but I'm not in favor of an AR-15 being slung around on the streets of a city. For what? What are you carrying an AR-15 for? Can't you just carry a Saturday night special? (laughs) 
Can't you just carry a, a snub-nosed gun? Can't you just carry something that isn't used to shoot wild animals? What about pro-life in that respect? What about pro-life in advocating that the state should no longer be a killing machine? Nah, I guess people, some people just don't. They just don't open their eyes to look at those other things. <laughs> and they're not pro-life either when it comes to domestic violence. Do you notice? Oh, you know. Um, yeah, we don't uh, want those guns to be taken because... Yeah, they can be used to kill a woman. Yeah, yeah, man, we do. But we don't want those guns to be taken from you, you see. Yeah, we're not pro-life when it comes to stopping domestic violence either, are we? Yeah, you know, the hypocrisy, you get the idea. So I'm just pleased. <laughs> I am pleased that Virginia's done this. California needs to get on board and so do the other 26 other states. So 27 states still have the death penalty on their books. Now, some of those states may not be using it, but that's a good thing, but we need it off the books completely. And that includes this state of California. Got to get rid of this death penalty. Got to. And I will be in touch with Governor Gavin Newsom about that. Great news, though, about Virginia. That's so good. Such good news. Very happy about that for Virginia. It means that you're not going to have black men on death row anymore. And you're not going to have black men on death row, some of whom are innocent. And even if there are not, even if some of those black men on death row or white men on death row are not innocent, it is never an answer to put them to death. Now, you may have a view that says, no, there are crimes where that should happen. And God forbid, if anything would happen to someone in your family, your view perhaps on the death penalty might change dramatically. I just don't think that the state should be a killing machine. I mean, when we had the piece of garbage that we had as uh, so-called president just a few months ago. He put to death women. He put to death men, put to, to death particularly black men. I mean, he was killing people like it was out of style, not to mention all the people who've died from coronavirus, not to mention his role in the terrorist attack of January 6th. Oh, yeah, he's surely. Oh, but I'm pro-life. Yeah, okay. Well, sure. Pro-life and ask uh, the 400,000 people that you killed uh, here in the U.S. from coronavirus and your deliberate non-action, um, whether, whether they think, ask them if they think you're pro-life. Oh, their families, surviving family members think you're pro-life. Ask uh, the lady in Arizona whose father was a diehard supporter of that piece of garbage, dying, literally dying, listening to him 
Ask her if she thinks that this piece of garbage who left the White House just over two months ago is pro-life. Guy doesn't have any ideology except himself and, and racism and stealing from people and committing crime, including rape. So give me a break. You know, this, this is just, uh, it's a bunch of garbage, isn't it? The hypocrisy of these folks. But I, I must say that Virginia, what a giant step Virginia took yesterday. And I am all here for it. I am here for it. And long may it continue. I want this in all states. Every last state should not just suspend the death penalty, but end it. End it. Come on now. If you want to be a more humane society, this is the way. And we've got to do this on a local level. We've got to put pressure on local and state officials. State officials, because of course that's, you know, they're where it's at. But locally too. Mayors, assembly persons, whomever, congressperson, I mean, city council members, state assembly people, though, is where you've got to go and the governor of your state. Contact them, please. Do it now. Do it today. Virginia, well done. Well done. Thank you very much for doing what you did. And Governor Northam, excellent job. And for those of you who in Virginia and elsewhere fought so hard for this moment, all the activist work that you did, all of you, whether it's Amnesty International or the Innocence Project or any other activist out here, thank you very much for your work. Congratulations. Oh my goodness me, so much good news. And um, for now, for now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end it there. Good news, good news indeed. Um, my goodness, <laughs> that's good news too. Yeah, <laughs> that this episode is actually probably about an hour long or less. I mean, that's good news too, I suppose. <laughs> oh dearie me. Well, uh, again, this is what a what a day. Uh, President Biden has given a news conference, his first formal news conference as president. And I will be talking a little bit about that um, in a subsequent episode. So I hope that you join me. Um, Also, uh, some other good things coming up tomorrow. Speaking of good news, um, it has to do with someone very famous. And I'll leave it at that. That's tomorrow. For now, thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore.